Hi everyone, we might just wait a few moments to let people join and then we'll um, kick off our first IR Insights webinar for this year. Just wait a couple more seconds. And just before we start, you might have had a little poll pop up in on your screen. Um, it's actually for a bit later in the webinar. So if you can just minimize it, don't close out of it, just minimize it and you'll be able to access it again later in the webinar when we um, tell you to. So we'll get started now. Um, thank you so much for attending. Happy 2023. And thank you for joining us for our first IR Insights webinar this year. My name's Alexandra Tyrrell. I'm a managing associate here at Denton's in Melbourne in our employment and safety team. And I'm joined by my colleague, Kate McFarlane, um, a solicitor also in the employment and safety team. So as I'm sure everyone is aware, the last few months have been very busy in the employment law space. Um, there's been significant changes and changes coming in relation to the enterprise agreement space, um, flexible working requests, fixed term contracts, just to name a few. And another area we've seen significant changes to are the sexual harassment and sex discrimination laws. And look, those changes have really been years in the making. Um, they follow the hashtag MeToo movement, which gained some real traction around five years ago. And they also follow the reports into sexual harassment conducted by the Australian Human Rights Commission. So what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about what sexual harassment actually means. We'll go through some case examples. We're then going to do a quick poll following the cases. We'll also chat about a recent report um, handed down by the Australian Human Rights Commission, which has some interesting statistics. Of course, we're going to talk about the legislative changes. And finally, we're going to talk about some practical steps that employers might already be doing, but should be considering um, taking to really comply with the current laws and, and the changes to the laws. So to start off, Kate, what is sexual harassment? So we'll have up on the screen there, as you can see, the definition of sexual harassment in the Sex Discrimination Act. So under the Sex Discrimination Act, a person sexually harasses another person if the person makes an unwelcome sexual advance or an unwelcome request for sexual favours or engages in other unwelcome conduct of a sexual nature in circumstances in which a reasonable person, having regard to all the circumstances, would have anticipated the possibility that the person harassed would be offended, humiliated, or intimidated. And it's important to note that sexual harassment is not limited to physical conduct. It can include making a statement of a sexual nature to a colleague. So today we're going to talk about three specific cases, uh, but the reality is there are many more, uh, some of which gain a bit of media attention and some of which you might have seen in the media recently. Uh, so a recent example of sexual harassment in the media is the reporting on the resignation of the CEO of Vicinity Centres uh, just a couple of weeks ago. So Vicinity Centres owns and manages some of the most recognisable retail destinations across Australia, uh, including Chadston in Melbourne uh, and Queen Victoria Building in Sydney. So the CEO of 
vicinity centres resigned days after receiving a first and final warning after a sexual harassment complaint was made against him by a top corporate affairs officer. Now, this senior corporate affairs officer said she was infuriated by the CEO's behaviour and decided that she would resign rather than complaining about his conduct. Uh, but someone said to her that if she, as a long-standing senior employee, didn't speak up about the CEO's behaviour, how could others be expected to do the same? Uh, so off the back of this, uh, the corporate affairs officer made various complaints about the CEO, uh, which were investigated. And the report found that the CEO said things like, we are similar, we're both attractive people and we've had to deal with that our whole lives. And when he received a request to be profiled in the AFR, he said, if I was 20 years younger and single, I'd do it. When I was on the cover of Forbes magazine Asia, I got a lot of action. So as noted before, these types of statements, which are a bit more subtle, can amount to sexual harassment. Um, the conduct does not have to be physical. So moving on, uh, we'll go straight into our first case. And this is an example of one of those more kind of not so subtle necessarily, but a non-physical example of sexual harassment. So this case involved Reen Yelder, and she worked at Sydney Water as a customer liaison officer. And this job involved her travelling around and working in the field and at various depots. So as I noted before, this case doesn't involve uh, physical touch um, or even verbal harassment. Um, so it's a good decision to talk about because it shows the broad application of the definition of sexual harassment. So Reem was at work one day and she was asked by Vitality Works Australia to partake in a photo shoot for one of their campaigns. Uh, and Vitality Works is a health and wellbeing organisation and they do health checks and health and safety services for organisations. And they were doing a campaign on spinal health and injury prevention. So they asked Reem to be in a photo for the campaign and she agreed. And in the image, Reem was smiling and wearing a high-vis vest. And the image was used on a poster, as you can see up there on the slide, uh, with a caption saying, feel great, lubricate. Now, this statement was supposed to refer to the lubrication of the joints in the body. And the poster was displayed around Sydney Water, uh, including at depots that Reem visited. And relevantly, Reem worked in a male-dominated workforce uh, and the poster was displayed in locations such as next to the male bathrooms. Now, the word lubricate could refer to the lubrication of the spine, uh, but it also can carry a sexual meaning. And Reem saw the poster and said she felt like she was treated as a sex object and subsequently quit her job. Uh, and it's important to note sh she was uh, from a very religious family uh, and felt very strongly that the, the poster was very inappropriate. So the court found that both Vitality Works and Sydney Water sexually harassed Reem by creating and displaying the poster. And the court went through the test for sexual har harassment that I discussed on the slide beforehand. So firstly, the conduct was unwelcome. 
Uh, although Reem agreed to the photo, she didn't agree to the actual poster that was produced. So the conduct was unwelcome. Uh, and it was found that a reasonable person would have anticipated that someone would be offended, humiliated or intimidated by being on the poster. And it was also found that this was conduct of a sexual nature. And this came down to the word lubricate uh, and that it was a sexually suggestive remark uh, on the poster. It's got a double entendre. Uh, it could be refer referring to the spinal lubrication um, or it could be used in a sexual context. So in finding that the poster was sexual in nature, the court had reference to the photo so Reem was on her own, pointing up to the words. Uh, they also referenced the words feel great lubricate uh, and the fact that they were in large font, especially the word lubricate. And also the fact that the words alone do not immediately suggest a meaning of fluid in the joints. The actual meaning was unclear without further explanation. So it did not matter uh, whether the conduct was intended to be sexual or not. Uh, this is an objective test. So ultimately, Reem was awarded $200,000, $100,000 each from Sydney Water and Vitality Works. And this case shows that a pun or a joke that is not meant to cause offence can be deemed sexual harassment. So moving on, this case is an interesting one and is kind of a more overt example of uh, sexual harassment um, in the workplace because it does involve that physical touch. So this is the case of Cordis v. Ruba and Joe Proprietary Limited. And Mr. Cordis was an apprentice at a hair and beauty salon. And he complained about sexual harassment by the director and principal of the entity that owned the salon and the senior hairdresser who was training Mr. Cordis. So the conduct involved the following. Uh, the senior hairdresser slapped Mr. Cordis on the bottom with a ruler and asked the apprentice to smack him back because he liked being slapped on the bum. Uh, senior hairdresser grabbed Mr. Cordis from behind and around the waist in the lunchroom to shift him out of the way instead of asking him to move. And the director lightly stroked Mr. Cordis's palm uh, when he gave money to him to run errands for the salon. So Mr. Cordis, following this conduct, uh, complained to the director and the director said to him, hairdressers are like racehorses. They're all equal, but they need a pat on the bum to go faster. And the director then told Mr. Cordis that he was no longer available to train him and therefore Mr. Cordis was dismissed. Now, in this matter, the tribunal found that Mr. Cordes had been sexually harassed and victimised when he was dismissed from the salon because of his complaint. The tribunal held that the behaviour was unwelcome, again, going through that test that I mentioned before. The behaviour was unwelcome and had a significant impact on the apprentice. And a reasonable person would have anticipated that Mr. Cordes would have been humiliated or intimidated by the conduct. So the employer was held to be vicariously liable uh, as they failed to take preventative action to ensure the workplace was free of harassment and they failed to take action when they were notified of the inappropriate behaviour. And Mr Cordes was awarded $30,000. Uh, so that was $5,000 in general damages uh, for the principal sexual harassment, 
$10,000 in general damages for the trainer's sexual harassment and $15,000 for the victimisation. Now, Ali's going to take us through another recent case. This is a 2022 one, so quite recent. Yeah, thanks, Kate. So it is um, one we want to talk about because it is quite recent. It's also from Victoria, where there has been a positive um, duty to take steps to prevent sexual harassment for quite some time. It was quite an explicit case involved quite explicit sexual harassment. So I won't go into all the details today, but it was really serious. Um, in terms of the background, the applicant in this case commenced employment in the respondent's male grooming business, which was called Man O Man. And she started work in January 2018 as a beauty therapist and she was 27 years old. So she alleged that between January 2018 and November 2018, her colleague sexually harassed her. And she actually ultimately resigned in November as a result of it, being only 10 months after she had started. Now, in this case, the respondents didn't actually challenge the alleged sexual harassment. And so the court found that the allegations were proven. And as I said, they were really serious. And some of the ones included that the colleague stuck his tongue in his cheek and looked at the applicant in a sexual way. He put his legs between her legs. He made suggestive comments, jokes and sex noises. And the last straw was that he shoved his face between her breasts and moved his head from left to right while she was in, in a reclined position having her hair washed. So the applicant in this case had complained on two occasions about the sexual harassment, but despite those complaints, nothing really happened. There was a warning um, that was given to the colleague, but that was months later. So the applicant claimed that the respondent, being her former employer, was vicariously liable for the conduct of its employee, being the colleague. And it also claimed that the respondent breached its positive duty to take reasonable and proportionate measures to eliminate sexual harassment as far as possible. As I said, it's interesting this case because it's considered the positive duty, which is new at federal level, but has been in Victoria's equal opportunity laws for some time. So VCAT found that the only precaution the respondent took to prevent sexual harassment was to make an employee handbook available online and to discuss it in a rudimentary manner at one staff meeting. So it didn't do a whole lot of the business. There was no other education on uh, the policies or on sexual harassment issues. So ultimately VCAT, uh, the tribunal, found that the employer was vicariously liable for the sexual harassment it actually didn't find that the respondent had breached its positive duty for really technical reasons being around how the legislation is drafted, but the tribunal said if it could, it would have found the positive duty was breached. So in this case, VCAT awarded the applicant $150,000 in general damages. And interestingly, the applicant didn't seek compensation for any economic loss, so lost wages. And so that's why the compensation is relatively low. And the tribunal even said that that award, 150,000, was far from excessive. So you'll see um, a couple of extracts on the screen from this decision in which the tribunal provides some helpful guidance as to the steps it really would have expected this, this business, this employer to have taken. And that includes things like educational programs, monitoring the workplace to see if people are complying with the policies, 
And of course, ensuring that workers had received, read and understood the policies. And the suggestion was that this could have been done by having a short questionnaire for employees to fill, up, to fill out. And the case also talks about training and regular refresher training. So not just once off training, the training really needs to be on a regular, say annual basis, as well as perhaps once, once people start work. So next, we're just going to move on to the poll section. Um, so on your screen at the bottom, there should be a little button that says polls. If you just click that, and I can see a number of you have already done that, which is great. Um, and there should be six questions. If you just want to quickly read them, and they're just true or false answers. So I'll give everyone a few minutes to do that, and then I'll go through each one. But they're just a couple of quick questions sort of really based on the, the cases we've just gone through and the definition of sexual harassment. Just give everyone a couple more seconds to do that. All right, for time's sake, I might end the poll just so we can go through and talk about the answers. So... Hopefully um, up on the screen, there are the questions and the answers. So I'll just go through them. And if you haven't had time to finish it, perhaps just have a think um, about the answer before I tell you what it is and before you look at it on your screen. But the first one is, um, so if an employer has a policy on sexual harassment, they would have met their positive duty to take steps to eliminate sexual harassment. As we've just seen from the case I just discussed, um, that's likely false. An employer really now needs to do more than just have a written policy, needs to educate on people on, on that policy through training, through make it, making it easily accessible and available. Uh, the second one is sexual harassment can occur outside the work site, such as at a pub, and still be considered work-related. That is true, um, as with a lot of areas of employment law, just because it's not in the office or on the work site, it doesn't mean that it can't be misconduct and in this case, sexual harassment. The third, sexual harassment is against the law. True, it is against the law, um, both fe at federal level and in each state and territory. The next one, if a person has accepted the sexual attentions of someone in the past, they cannot complain about sexual harassment by that person in the future. Now, that's false because sexual harassment is any sexual attention that's unwanted. It might be wanted at one point and then unwanted at a later point in time, which means it still could amount to sexual harassment. Number five, if a person is only joking and does not intend to harm or distress another person, it cannot be called sexual harassment. Now that is false. Uh, sexual harassment, part of the definition is based on the effect it has, it has on the person or a reasonable person in the circumstances, not the intentions of the harasser or the person um, engaging in the conduct. Finally, sending an SMS to a friend that spreads false stories about another person's sex life is okay. Now, that is also false. Um, sexual harassment can include sending inappropriate text messages that will offend or humiliate another person, even if they don't see it. So again, it's not just physical actions or even verbal. It can be things like text messages. So I'll just get out of that poll now. And 
Next, we just wanted to talk about uh, the recent Australian Human Rights Commission report. It was handed down in November 2022, so just last November. Uh, and this is actually on the back of the Commission's fifth national survey on sexual harassment in Australian workplaces. So it's the fifth survey, it's been conducted since 2003, and it's conducted with about 10,000 Australians. As I said earlier, this, this survey and this topic has really gained a lot of traction over the last five years. Five years ago was when the reporting on sexual harassment by Hollywood movie producer Harvey Weinstein really started the global conversation about workplace sexual harassment. And then the fourth of these um, AHRC reports released in 2018 resulted in the Respect at Work bill, which is really why we're here today, because that bill uh, ended up with a number of laws being passed, including the most recent um, amendments to the sexual harassment uh, legislation. So this uh, recent survey continues to highlight what we already know. Um, and some of those stats are up on the screen, but it still says that one in three workers have experienced workplace sexual harassment in the last five years. It says that power imbalances continue to drive sexual harassment against some people more than others. And it says experiences of sexual harassment continue to have negative impacts on mental health, productivity and the economy. And I'll move on to Kate to chat about some of the other interesting stats that have come out of the report. Thanks, Ali. So the November 2022 AHRC report revealed some interesting statistics regarding the most common types of workplace sexual harassment. And these are good for employers to know what to look out for, especially because some of them do not actually involve physical touch. So as you can see up on the screen there, the most common types of workplace sexual harassment experienced included uh, sexually suggestive comments and jokes, uh, intrusive questions about a person's private life or their physical appearance, uh, inappropriate staring or leering, uh, unwelcome touch, hugging, cornering or kissing, and inappropriate physical contact which 26% of women surveyed said they had experienced and 11% of men surveyed said they had experienced. And these categories of conduct certainly line up with the kind of conduct that we often end up investigating for clients. So if you can just go to the next slide, thanks, Ali. Um, the AHRC also shared statistics regarding the reporting of sexual harassment in Australian workplaces. So perhaps unsurprisingly, uh, overall, the reporting of workplace sexual harassment is low, uh, which is unfortunate. Uh, fewer than one in five people, so 18%, uh, who experienced workplace sexual harassment in the last five years made a formal report or complaint about the harassment. Now, of those who did make a report or complaint, one quarter said it resulted in no consequences for the harasser. And often this comes back to a power imbalance where allegations are made against senior employees who have more sway in the business, uh, change is unfortunately less likely to occur. Uh, for the first time, the report provides insight into workers' views on the actions taken by their organisation to prevent and respond to workplace sexual harassment. And these statistics are quite interesting. So 
Only one half of workers said their organisation provided information on how to make a report or complaint about sexual harassment. And this is something that we'll speak to in a couple of slides time. Uh, two in five people said that they had attended training on sexual harassment. Uh, however, uh, there is change occurring within organisations as almost three quarters of people believe their organization's leaders were committed to ensuring a safe working environment free from sexual harassment. So it's good that there is a sentiment that organizations want to be doing the right thing. Uh, the positive duty really does mean that organizations need to be doing all that they can to prevent sexual harassment, uh, such as training, having brief grievance procedures, reporting procedures, and putting policies in place and making sure people actually know about those policies. Now, Ali's going to take us through recent legislative changes in the area. Yeah, so I guess this is what we're really here to talk about today. Um, there are a couple of bills that passed last year which have made amendments in this area. One was what we call the Respect at Work Bill. It was passed in November last year and received royal assent in December. And so a lot of the changes under that bill have already come into effect, except for some that relate to the Human Rights Commission's new powers. So, as I said earlier, the bill was drafted on the back of the AHRC's 2020 Respect at Work report. That report concluded that existing frameworks in relation to workplace sexual harassment are complex, they're difficult to navigate, they're overly reactive, and they place a significant burden on the complainants. So this bill has really tried to address a lot of those concerns. Um, but the 2020 report made 55 recommendations. Now, some of them were implemented by the previous government, for example, stop sexual harassment orders. But this bill um, has implemented seven of the other recommendations and the Albanese government has committed to implementing all of them in the future. So some of the things that are left over, which um, I'm sure we'll hear more about, are the use of non-disclosure agreements in workplace sexual harassment matters. So that's, I think that's got a while to go, but it's something that was in the 2020 report and I assume we'll hear more about, but isn't part of these, um, these changes. So going into these changes, I've just got um, them on the screen. The first is in relation to hostile work environments. So the Sex Discrimination Act, being the Commonwealth Act, has been amended to make it unlawful for a person to subject another person to a workplace environment that is hostile on the ground of sex. So what, what is a workplace that's hostile on the ground of sex? It has, a, it has a bit of a mouthful of a definition, but it's where a reasonable person would have anticipated the possibility of the conduct resulting in the workplace environment being offensive, intimidating or humiliating because of the sex of a person or a characteristic of that sex. So that's the sort of legal change. Um, but why, why was it necessary? Well, the Respect at Work report found that sexual harassment can occur where a workplace environment is sexually charged or hostile, even if the specific conduct isn't directed at, at a particular person. The report also noted things like displaying obscene or pornographic materials or general sexual banter can result in people of one sex feeling unwelcome or excluded. And then in turn, those environments can increase the risk of unlawful discrimination and sexual harassment. So the idea behind this amendment is really to assess the environments and try and manage the environments that lead to sexual harassment so that the 
that sexual harassment can be prevented as opposed to the previous laws, which were very reactive. Um, the next is, is the positive duty. Again, the federal legislation, the Sex Discrimination Act has been amended so that employers and PCBUs must take reasonable and proportionate measures to eliminate, so far as possible, various things, and they are discrimination on the grounds of sex, sexual harassment, hostile work environments, which have just gone through, and victimization. So what are reasonable and proportionate measures? Well, of course, they're gonna differ between different businesses and organizations, and there's gonna be various factors that need to be taken into account in determining what is reasonable and whether a duty holder has complied with their obligations. They're gonna be things like the size, uh, nature and circumstances of the business, um, the organization's resources, whether that be financial or otherwise and the practicability and the cost of steps to eliminate the conduct. So all those things will be weighed up to determine whether um, an employer or an organisation has taken sufficient steps to prevent sexual harassment or discrimination. So again, why, why was it felt that that change was necessary? Well, the uh, Commission's Respect at Work report found that the current legal framework at the time wasn't effectively preventing sexual harassment because it was really just focusing on addressing and responding to conduct that had already occurred. So again, the purpose of this amendment is really to shift the focus by requiring employers, organisations to proactively prevent discrimination and harassment in, in the workplaces. And the idea is that this positive duty also operates concurrently with existing duties in health and safety laws, which we'll talk a bit to a bit later. Um, the Australian Human Rights Commission has also been provided with various new functions. It will be required to prepare and establish guidelines for complying with a positive duty. So that will be helpful when they're out to for employers to read through and have a look at. Uh, the Commission will be able to conduct inquiries into someone's compliance with the positive duty, and if they find that there isn't compliance or isn't sufficient compliance, they can issue, the Human Rights Commission can issue compliance notices, and if the business is still not complying with the steps set out in that compliance notice, the Commission can actually go to the courts to get enforcement of it. So again, the Respect at Work report recommended that the positive duty be accompanied by appropriate enforcement mechanisms, basically to ensure that employers are actually complying with the obligations and I guess have an incentive to do so. Um, and it also was considered that the Human Rights Commission having more powers would ease the burden on individuals because the commission would be able to initiate action itself while, rather than relying on a complainant coming to them and making a complaint. Uh, representative applications, very simply unions, um, those type of organisations can make applications on behalf of the individuals. Prior to these laws, um, unions could initiate a representative complaint in the commission, but not in the courts. So um, sort of a disconnect there that's been um, fixed up. And victimisation, it's quite a technical change, but basically it's making clear that victimising conduct can form the basis of civil action and also crim a criminal complaint. Uh, very quickly, something else that was spoken about around this bill was costs. 
Um, however, it's been put on hold. It didn't end up being part of this bill. The idea was that uh, each party bear their own costs and as opposed to where a winning party might be able to get their costs um, by the losing party uh, paying it, which is standard in, in general litigation. And the reason for that change was so applicants weren't so afraid to bring claims because of the risk they might have um, costs against them. They might have to pay another party's costs. However, there were concerns that this could still deter applicants from making claims, um, knowing that they would not be able to claim their own costs. So some parties have suggested that uh, individuals should be able to seek their costs if they win, but be protected if they don't. Um, but it's all been placed on hold. There haven't been changes about that, but I just thought that was that was interesting. Um, there were also some changes under another bill, the Secure Jobs Better Pay Bill. Um, Kate, what were the changes under that? Yeah, so as Ali noted previously, this bill received royal assent in December 2022, and it does contain a number of significant amendments to the Fair Work Act. So firstly, there's a prohibition on sexual harassment in connection with work. So an amendment has been made to the Fair Work Act to be clear that sexual harassment in connection with work is prohibited. And this part of the Act covers workers. And worker has the same meaning as uh, in the Work Health and Safety Act, uh, meaning it covers employees, contractors, subcontractors, work experience students, volunteers, etc. Uh, and employers can be held to be vicariously liable for its workers' conduct if sexual harassment occurs in the workplace. Secondly, uh, there are new avenues through which the Fair Work Commission can deal with sexual harassment disputes. So if a person alleges that they've been sexually harassed, the Fair Work Commission can either make an order to stop sexual harassment, and this has been in the Fair Work Act for about a year or so, uh, but now, uh, under the recent amendments, the Fair Work Commission can conduct a mediation or conciliation uh, in relation to the complaint of sexual harassment. And if the matter is not resolved by mediation or conciliation, uh, then the Fair Work Commission can issue a certificate uh, saying that all reasonable attempts to resolve the dispute have been unsuccessful. Now, uh, the employee would then be able to take the dispute to the federal courts uh, much like a general protections claim. Uh, the employee would have 60 days uh, to make the court application from the day the uh, certificate is issued, so the day of the unsuccessful mediation. Um, or uh, if the parties agree, uh, the Fair Work Commission could arbitrate the dispute. Now, the Fair Work Commission can dismiss such an application if it is made more than 24 months after the contravention. And it should also be noted that employees now have a choice in relation to whether they want to bring a claim for sexual harassment under the discrimination laws or the Fair Work Act, uh, but they will not be able to bring a complaint under both at the same time. And these changes are expected to come into play from 6 March 2023, so rapidly approaching. Uh, there have also been changes to anti-discrimination laws. So breastfeeding, gender identity and intersex status are now new protected attributes under the anti-discrimination provisions of the Fair Work Act. And these changes have already come into effect, meaning that an employer cannot take adverse action against an employee for breastfeeding, for their gender identity or their intersex status. 
Now, we are going to go through some steps that employees should be taking uh, following uh, the implementation of these new laws. So the main goal of the amendments is to make employers focus on proactive steps, as Ali noted previously. And these are proactive steps to prevent sexual harassment as opposed to reactive ones once the conduct has already occurred. What amounts to a reasonable and proportionate measure to prevent sexual harassment and discrimination will not be the same for all businesses. So employees are going to need to consider the nature of their workplace, the size of their workplace, uh, to determine what are reasonable steps. Really, employers should already be taking some steps to prevent sexual harassment and discrimination in order to comply with work health and safety obligations. Or if you're in Victoria, because the positive duty to prevent sexual harassment already existed. And I'm sure a lot of you are already taking the types of steps that we'll discuss. So on the slide, we've set out some specific steps that employers would be uh, should be considering, uh, which Ali is going to take us through now, starting with the risk assessment. Yeah, so as I said earlier, the idea of a lot of these changes is that um, they've sort of all already been required under work health and safety laws. And so employers really need to be taking a work health safety approach to prevent sexual harassment and sex discrimination. 